0: Warning: Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone. Fire.
1: Holodeck three program is reinstated. Open Sesame. Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing of beam now. All right. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Strange New Worlds edition. I am your host, Michael, and today we're going to be discussing. The episode titled Under the Cloak of War and in the studio as per usual to join me in the festivities is the one and only Ensign, David Sabal. Hello, everybody. As I mentioned, David, we're going to be talking about Under the Cloak of War, which is the eighth episode of Strange New World's second season. And I will say that this is going to be one of those episodes that I refer to continually as we do discussions for the foreseeable future because it's one of those episodes it's up yes. there with some of the greatest Voyager and deep space nine episodes when it comes to exploring the human condition and the effects of war.
0: Oh, it's a, it, this is a, one of those episodes that I feel is one of the standouts for this season because for me, this is a really heavy episode that does what star Trek does best, which is pose a philosophical question for the audience and have the audience discuss. Have the have the audience discuss what is the ending. I mean, like, the way it, the entire s- episode was formatted was perfectly fi- a philosophical Star Trek episode that you'd, you'd expect from, like, original series and TNG to the point... I'd say this is more in line with Deep Space Nine. Yeah, even, like, to the point that it's almost like it's uh, Deep Space Nine territory, because, mm. like... When you get to the punchline of the episode, and punch—I use the word punchline—just because philosophically, when it gets down to the the talk between Banga and Pike at the end, that was bar none a classic, stereotypical Star Trek ending. Yeah, but all, yes, it is without a doubt. But also
1: it had its own unique flair to it as well. So it wasn't just simply retreading on what we've seen before, but it was relying on the philosophical ingredients that Star Trek has been built with since its conception. Oh yeah. Now, David, this episode is from the mind of Davy Perez uh, and it's destined to be one of those controversial episodes, you know, morally ambiguous and left open to viewer interpretation as you were talking about because we don't know whether or not the actions committed are justified, and we also aren't even sure what really what happened. What really happened? Yeah, and, and we wonder about the potential unraveling of consequences. You know, that's what this episode's really built on as well—is the consequences, not just Imbanga's consequences or the ambassador's consequences, uh, but the consequences of war. Yeah. There was a lot of that going on as well. And I'm speaking of those last few moments specifically when Mbega seemingly kills the Klingon ambassador. I'm going with that line of thinking. You're thinking he he basically. Come on. Come on. I mean, look at that conversation at the end with Pike. He was justifying and trying to prove a point. He did it. When he said, I. You know what? We're, gonna, we're going to play the dialogue. Before we close out today's show, I'm going to replay that dialogue and we're going to break it down.
0: Because it brings up such a really deep philosophical statement. Because what did he say? I did not start it. Yeah, he
1: didn't start it. And he wanted to finish it. He, he wanted to finish it. He had it. the knife. He never was able to kill the ambassador Yes. or Ra. And this was the moment where he could finish the mission. Yes, so I have fe- obviously we're never going to get that conclusive answer and I don't want it but I'm on the line of thinking that I'm of the line of thinking that the he in fact did it. But we'll we're going to break it down cuz there's a lot of things you can read, you know, in between the lines mm-hmm. during that conversation at the end of the episode. Also David, believe it or not, Star Trek has done episodes just as dark where the characters face difficult choices or dilemmas that challenge their ethics or values. And I'm not just talking about those classic philosophical episodes, but episodes where our heroes do questionable things, which sometimes doesn't always go over well with certain Star Trek fans because they have this idea of... um They have this idea that Roddenberry's vision of a utopian future meant that people were perfect and they're still humans. They've evolved, right? The idea is that they've evolved beyond their petty squabbles.
0: And I think that that's the genius of this is because it is trending on a writing broken character because throughout this season, Banga has been dealing with this post-traumatic syndrome type of uh, issue that he's been having mentally
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I really do like what the character arc they've done with him because it is so different than basically just like what you said most Star Trek fans would say oh everyone in Starfleet's perfect there is nothing wrong with them. or they're they they should not have any quote-unquote issues but here we're seeing that these pe these characters are very human they're it's impossible to say that basically for what they saw going out there, that they're not going to be traumatized. They're going to have each and every one of them is going to be different. Yeah. The the Star Trek world,
1: you know, the Federation Starfleet, it's an ideal concept, but it's not perfection. The, the, the dream is still being chased. That's the point of the Star Trek narrative. It's the idea of a hopeful, better future that you never quite reach, but you're always working to do what? To better yourself as a human as being. As a human being. It's built on the idea of human exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. But we also have Chapel's own issues of PTSD coming through as well. Yeah. And it looks like it's affecting her relationship with Spock. We're not quite sure how that's all going to play out as of yet, but she essentially shuns Spock and 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 alludes to the fact that he can't understand where she's, coming, where she's from, coming from therefore he can't assist her.
0: Yes, and that's the thing that that was really interesting that in that one scene was the fact that Spock was legitimately not doing a bad thing. He was trying to reach out and you know, he wanted to help. That was it. And then Chapel and it's understandable on Chapel's part because what he's trying to tread on is very deeply personal to her. And through those flashbooks, uh, flashbooks, flashbacks that we saw, it's, it's obvious why that is very personal to her and probably something she doesn't want to talk about. You know, see, making choices like, I'm going to erase someone from a buffer and essentially kill them instead of trying to save them. That is kind of traumatizing. At least they'll never know, though. Will they though? I mean, come on Barkley proved that basically that people still feel things in that transporter thing. Well, there's (laughs) there's
1: definitely some, some areas that can be analyzed for sure. Within Star Trek, they have new, they have had numerous transporter horror stories, horror stories throughout Star Trek. I mean,
0: come on. The motion picture scene still sticks with people to this day. Yeah. About like, (laughs) <laughs> well, they didn't even show it, but they basically said, "We're just glad that whatever came back didn't survive long." And it's like, oh no, nothing compares, David, to the the Cronenberg style
1: of refabricating yes, human life from decaying matter, decaying matter within space. Yes, from a an apocalyptic event that happened to Neelix's family. Yeah where they were trying to pull the molecules and reconstruct them from death. I'm like that. What the hell's happening in this episode? That's morbid. So you are That's right. Morbid. There's always been these morbid stories uh, attached to the idea of the transporter.
0: And they in this episode, I mean, David Perez just took so many ideas that are, I would say taboo in Star Trek dealing number one with the price of war. Number two, death in the transporter notes of dread notes of dread, a little bit of Lovecraft there, or even like the fact that they went so far as to actually even show how some Federation people on the front lines acted like they were seeing some of those Federation officers be really nonchalant about Mm -hmm. like death and destruction all around them. And they're the only thing that was so disturbing to me was constantly hearing the, the computer's voice saying incoming incoming transport. Uh, what was it? Incoming transmission. No in- incoming transport, incoming transport, yeah incoming transport. And all these people were just like going about their business. Oh, reach into that guy's chest and start beating his heart.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh man. It's that was triage, just- right? That's essentially yeah. what
1: they were doing with the transport too, by putting that one officer in the buffer. Yeah. Because it's triage
0: his, because his entire, I think, the, the, uh, I think Bango was like saying his entire organs were failing. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> there's no way for him to come back. This
1: is why I started the episode off by saying from the mind of Davy Perez. And there may be people out there, David, who are not aware of Davy Perez's uh, career. He made his bones on one of the longest running television shows in history. Supernatural. So he did. And he wrote some of the, greatest episodes in its later seasons wasn't it like even
0: some of the darkest ones too? yes it's
1: built a lot on dread and phobias very lovecraftian that's his style look at the gorn episode he wrote last year
0: oh my god yeah yeah, you're right the gorn episode was him
1: yeah so i mean he's got a style and that's (laughs) why i i dig his writing because i love when writers don't just write i like when i like auteurs dave i think that's clear i like Writers and directors that can flex a creative style. Yeah. And that's definitely something Davey Perez has. He has a definitive style. So David briefly, cause I, I feel like I got the gist of it, but I want to know what really stood out for you in just a matter of 30 seconds when it comes to this episode, what were the, what were the highlights?
0: My highlights in this episode were definitely the stuff with Mbanga and the fact that basically the question that was posed in the end just was perfectly done by Perez in his script where it was kind of like, he's putting forth this situation. And then in the very end, the very end isn't about solving the situation. The very end is about questioning, bringing forth your own philosophical idea of like, what is the, what is the point of this story? And I really enjoyed that. I love it when Star Trek does that because it's Star Trek is not just about like fancy ships and flying. It's also kind of educational in a ph- philosophical way. Yeah. You know, it's supposed to make you question. supposed it made own, you think? Make you think. Yeah. That at least the the
1: better episodes of Star Trek. And that's not to say that Star Trek can, can't be other things, it absolutely can, but at its core, it always needs to cling To those notes, correct?
0: Yeah. And if you notice, the thing that I thought was really, that stuck out to me, one major highlight I noticed, to me, there is not a true villain in this episode. There's no villain. You know, like you would normally say there's a protagonist and an antagonist. I never actually felt there's a true antagonist. It's just an obstacle. It's, it's
1: it's an obstacle or it's like a, it's for, it's for everyone. Everyone, it's for everyone. Yeah. Everyone, there's an obstacle for everyone. And, and it's the idea of overcoming prejudice after war, because that was also a big theme. And yeah. to me, that was one of the highlights outside of the more philosophical aspects. It has a lot to do with the effects of war. The, when the irrational becomes rational, rational, you know, because a war in a lot of ways is irrational. So how does a rational mind make sense of such an irrational concept that's why it was interesting when Uhura and Ra were talking about the ANR existentialism, which, you yes. know, David, I, I marked that down the <laughs> yeah, moment they sure said you that, did. you know, so there was so many things going on in this episode that really clicked and worked for me. Now, as I said, this episode is written by Davy Perez and directed by Jeffrey W. Bird, the synopsis, Captain Pike and his crew welcome a Klingon defector aboard the USS Enterprise, but his presence triggers the revelation of some shocking secrets. Secrets. So staying with the Davy Perez aspect for just a few more moments here, if there was anyone on the writing staff that could write an episode like this, it would be Davy Perez. He does some of his best work in these areas of Grey. We can see that even more so in an episode that challenges the values and ethical choices of our protagonists. Because this this episode, or I should say this is an episode that 100% resides within the gray area of ethics.
0: Oh no, absolutely. 100% agree with you on that one.
1: Though the audience is not supposed to definitively Definitively know whether Mbanga killed Ra or Ra attacked Mbanga. Yes. That's irrelevant. Or he acted in self defense or it was just an accident. Mm-hmm. The episode set the stage appropriately for such an ending. And rather like a lot of other tra- track episodes where the writers construct a scene where the pr- they weigh the pros and cons. That's the yes. classic TOS. Aspects, those those waning moments within the episode. This one brilliantly poses those same questions, but within the abstract, leaving it ambiguous and open for interpretation. Yeah, and that doesn't. Oh, it's a risk when you do that. Um, when you're doing these types of things in a mainstream show like Star Trek. Sometimes those types of abstract ideas don't always work well with the audience because people, more or less, they want those answers. They want the concrete answers. They don't want to have to interpret a scene. It's absolutely brilliant writing, in my opinion, because the feeling of not knowing helps the audience understand the potential psychological impairments that Mbanga is suffering from. The confusion, internal conflict, wondering how one should act or did act. The audience is ripped, David, from its comfort place, its comfortable place, outside the conflict, and we're asked
0: to question what just happened. We are now a part of the show, and that's that's what was interesting. I thought it was a genius maneuver. The final scene, or the final scene with Mbanga and Ra. The conclusion of that scene, they switch perspectives from the two. The two basically speakers of the, of the scene, which was Mbanga and Ra, mm-hmm. and they switch to Chapel. Chapel only sees the aftermath. Which she shares with the audience. Which she shares with the audience. Mm-hmm. And I thought that scene itself was brilliantly done because I think that basically we don't want an answer. We don't want to know what if Mbanga truly did it because that's not what's important. I think we would lose some of our sympathy. Sympathy for yeah.
1: Mbanga if we witnessed him take a knife and plunge it into the chest of Ra. However, this is why humans are so complicated, Dave, because even though probably most of us agree that Ra deserves it and M- Mbanga probably did it, the fact that we didn't see actually works to create more sympathy
0: for the character. Yeah. If we saw him do something so brutal, it would work against that. It worked work against it. And also, you got to remember, they built a little sympathy for Ra in this episode, too. Oh, yeah. Don't, uh, you know, the really complex thing that David Perez was able to do was normally, just like you said, we all understand why Mbenga hates Ra because Ra was the butcher of Jagal. He was, he was the one that basically everyone said, oh, he killed his own people, yada, yada, yada. And suddenly he's like a Gandhi-like figure where he's like, I'm totally against war now. I don't want anything to do with it, and I want to try to make a, a, the world a better place. Okay, but like we all can understand that, and the way that, that David Perez w- it was able to frame Ross' story made him sympathetic.
1: Yeah, and also at the same time, we can understand Mbangas rage Yeah, because of the twist ending. When, oh, especially you, when, you, when you find that out that you see this guy who's being propped up as a saint, it just the idea that it it's a paradoxical type of emotion where I don't know if I want to be the one that murdered these people, but at the same time, I did it, and here you are claiming it and using it to now create this introspection and turn yourself into a Gandhi-like character who has now seen the error of his ways when all you did was run away. You are a coward and you left me to murder your people. So you can start to understand that anger more and more, that rage. It makes more sense. Now, obviously, I think most of us could see from a PTSD standpoint, most of us would and did, up to that point, understand Mbega's problems. And we were sympathetic. But I believe even more so with that reveal. When we realized that this man who was following orders to end the war, to end the butchering, now has to live with that type of blood on his hands. And he never will tell anyone. And you have this guy running around pretending he's the one that took on that type of Moral weight,
0: especially, especially, I i thought the scenes with Mbanga and the brutal attack really, really kind of formed it perfectly of how brutal that moment and traumatizing that moment was for Mbanga because he didn't go in there with a phaser, he didn't go in there with like uh explosives or anything to kill the people, he went in there with a freaking knife
1: and protocol 12, which we, protocol we now know, have a name for that serum,
0: yeah. And he just killed people with his hands. Can I get some Protocol 12, please? Oh my God, dude. I'm like going, after this, I'm like, going, where the hell has Protocol 12 been all this time? Because can you imagine if the. I have a they- feeling,
1: Dave, that it, I don't, I can't remember if we've been given any additional background yet other than what they have sorted through this season when it comes to the Protocol 12. But I'm wondering if this will be something that they will continually go back to until we get to a point where it becomes banned.
0: It becomes banned. Yeah. Because like, if you think about it, protocol 12 is worse. It's in there with genetic modifications. So if genetic, genetic modifications in, in Starfleet are seen this bad, protocol 12 has been like floating around there and people in Starfleet have been using it. So
1: (laughs) I don't know people. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, because they they asked him for more. Right? They
0: asked him for more. That's right. Yeah. And that's that was the that was one of the most Jeez. shocking things when it comes to seeing the war, the Klingon war, more in kind of focus and in, in Banga's per, uh point of view, where you have Federation people coming to him and telling him about protocol, to, uh, asking him for more Protocol Twelve. And I was like, you guys do know that basically that is highly illegal. It should be at least, but. Because it's war, it's understandable why we have to use this. Yeah. We, you know, the Klingons can rip you to pieces just by themselves. We need that one, we just need that one advantage that gives us at least a modicum of chance of survival. And that's why I really liked what David Perez was doing here. I didn't see I haven't seen like a dark storytelling about like the the Klingon war. Or like the 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 effects of war in Star Trek since Deep Space Nine. Yeah, like I the that is that is the part, that is the one thing that after I watched this episode, I was like going, I haven't had this feeling like this seeing a heavy episode like this since Deep Space Nine because yeah, there have been other iterations. The, that Discovery had some
1: dark things. In Discovery the had
0: dark things, but it always felt that. In the in certain writers' hands, they don't want to go as far as Davy Perez will go.
1: Well, in the first season of Discovery, it was less about the subtleties of darkness, like what Davy Perez here is, or what Davy Perez is doing in this episode, yeah. where he's 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 intellectually delving into the darker side of of the human condition, whereas Discovery was blatant with some of its violence. Yes. It, it, the first season, it it smoothed out later, but. Speaking of that, Dave, I was happy that they brought back some aspects of Discovery because I know people want the writers to just run away from Discovery's first season, but that is canon and it's a groundwork that Strange New Worlds was essentially built on. So when Ortegas brings up Remain Klingon, which is from the very first episode of Discovery, I like that because it creates that uh, consistency, a little bit of continuity between the episodes and the ideology of the Klingons, which we've never been really privy to other than the fact that they were a warrior class. We understood that they were skirmishes, they were warring factions early on, uh, they weren't united until later on, uh, but with the idea of Dekuvma and Vok essentially being stand-ins or a metaphor for white supremacy. Yes. That's what the Klingon ideology, at least from Takuvma's lineage. Uh-huh. I'm not, I don't know if all Klingons were meant to be considered like supremacists, but the idea or the ideology that spurred on the war between the Federation was a metaphor for white supremacy. So the fact that they brought that back into play for that continuity I like that because it also shows uh, those connections once again, refracting historical nuances and bring it into Star Trek when you're bringing in elements from world war II, which they did a lot here. You had the white supremacy aspect, you had protocol 12, which talks about, you know, which is speaking on the experiments on soldiers, which we know Nazis didn't just do experiments on, on their enemies. They did, Lots of unethical experiments on their own soldiers trying to make a super soldier. where taking Nietzsche's words of the Ubermensch and completely misinterpreting it into an idea of a better version of humanity through white supremacy. So taking all those things, you also, by the end of the episode, then have that discussion between Pike and Mbenga where Mbenga... Essentially, that conversation parallels the U.S. government's operation known as Operation Paperclip. Operation Paperclip, for those that may not be aware, was a secret intelligence program in which more than 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians were taken from former Nazi Germany to the U.S., for government employment after the end of World War II in Europe between 1945 and 1959. Basically, if you could offer something of value to the government, your life would be spared despite the atrocities yeah. It doesn't matter. Hey, you're intelligent. You're a scientist. You can bring that knowledge to us. Then forget about the horrible disgusting things you, <laughs> did, you did in the name of the Third Reich. Come on over. And that's essentially what that conversation between Pike and Ambega was about. It was bringing those ideas forward. The idea that we are sparing Ambassador Raw, who is a war criminal, because he has something he can offer the Federation. And that's one of those questions that they're posing yet again. Okay, Ambassador Raw seemingly had a change of heart and he wants to create peace. So in the name of peace, do we spare a war criminal? So there's a lot of interesting World War II connections and to Nazi Germany and throughout like, this entire episode. I
0: like the fact that, Davey Davey Perez could have actually taken that argument and totally basically just said, no, this is the proper way of thinking. Mbango is right. All that good stuff. But it it wouldn't have been as impactful. It wouldn't have been as impactful, especially because like when Pike brings up the question that we all believe, this isn't just like about the Federation, but just in general, humans believe that everyone deserves a second chance. We constantly say that. Do we truly believe it? And that's, what it, that's when it, it, it turned the question, that Embanga brought out, and just split the division. And basically said, hey, here's, here's the true question of the story. Well, David, here, let's, let's do this in
1: the studio between you and I. Do you believe that war criminals deserve a second chance?
0: I have to actually side with Pike. I really do. I do think that basically everyone deserves a second chance. If you can actually make the world a better place and make it, make up for your past transgressions. What, why, why are we going to den- deny that? Well, I think there's, it, it
1: is complicated and I can't disagree with your line of thinking, nor Pikes. However, I'm more of the mindset of fuck them. The fuck I'm like it, in Banga.
0: And I, I understand that too.
1: It, it, now, individuals should be held accountable. And I don't believe let's say in the, let's bring this into um, real world context for a second. Mm-hmm. World war II. should every single German soldier that served under Hitler be mowed down and killed. No, some of them were just following orders and that's also an ethical concern. A lot of them were doing it for fear of their life, mm-hmm. fear of their family's lives that they would be killed it doesn't make it right. However, I believe in those certain situations, you can find that wiggle room for a second chance. But when it comes to the leaders of the third right, the, the people in positions of power, fuck them, all of them. And I would throw Ambassador Ra on that.
0: See, and, and normally I would agree with you. But when you put into the perspective of Ra, where he gets to see truly what the brutality of war was when he saw what Mbanga was doing, you could make the argument any person in the, that sees that type of brutality basically would come to Jesus at that point and say, no, this war is stupid. Why the fuck are we, why the, why the hell are we tearing each other apart like
1: but, this? But did you think, though, that Ra truly was sorry? Or do you think because he ran and he was a coward that he was now considered to be he had no honor because we know the way of the Klingon that is that you're supposed the, to die. If you are taken captive or run, then you lose your honor. In a lot of ways, it
0: seems like he did the only thing he could do because he had lost his honor. He anyway. lost his honor. And that's the, that's the complicated part about all this is like, I find myself sympathizing with Rob, but also the fact that Rod did this out of basically dishonor and basically in a lot of ways, okay, it's only till when you get to see true, when you're truly afraid, and then you learn your lesson. Okay. During the whole other time, he didn't learn.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe the and, reason why, David,
1: I don't have sympathy for Ra is probably because I've done a lot of reading. ...on these Nazi scientists who came over to our country. Oh, it's scary, dude. And they didn't change their it view. They didn't
0: change their views. They didn't
1: change their view in life. What they did was assimilate so they can survive. Yes. In fact, there are some interviews from... I want to say the gentleman that, that really actually changed NASA for the, for the good. I forgot his name, but he's the one that was working on the rockets in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. And he secretly, well, due to the, the United States government... He changed his identity and became the head of NASA. And these were some of his justifications or the people that supported him when it came out who he was, when it was revealed that he was a former Nazi scientist. Mm -hmm. Well, look at the good I'm doing now. Look at the good I'm doing now. It sounded almost like taken from some of those biographies, his dialogue.
0: Well, if you think about it also, Mike, I mean, take that even further. Flip that on the one side with something that's going on today because of a certain movie. Think of Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is the same, is the same question because in a lot of specs, especially in like Asian cultures and Japanese cultures, Oppenheimer is seen as a monster because he, a lot of people say he murdered millions upon people because of that bomb because he created it. (laughs) But in other ways, we always say, "Well, he had to make that choice. That is the price of war." Yeah, and it's that's that's the really one of the things that I get almost like a dark glee about when it comes to philosophy. When you ask these questions, and you have these stories, and you start seeing. Normally, you can go like a normal person say, "I just want to sit down and just relax and have a straight to." Street viewing of a show and understand all the motivations. But then you get like stories like this where when it ends, it suddenly the perspective changes from the TV show to you. And you have to ask yourself, "Yep, what would you choose? That is classic Star
1: Trek, Dave. Yeah. Isn't that great? It, and look at the conversations generating. This is what classic Star Trek used to always do. It so generated conversation.
0: Look at the conversation that me and you have. We're We're, we're both on opposing sides on this. Where it's kind of like, when you ask me that, I'm like, I got to, I got to side with Pike on this one because like morally I've always felt everyone deserves a second chance.
1: Well, your new name's going to be Hans Lander. So <laughs> Hans <I'm>
0: Lander. just, <laughs> <laughs> just you know, randomly, you'll just go, Hey Hans, <laughs> I'm just but, joking, but it's like, but that's, that's a thing I really do enjoy about Star Trek over any of the other franchises because it opens up these philosophical questions that you can talk to someone about this and yet it's uncomfortable, but that's the whole point about talking and debating is like, we want to actually figure out how do we get to the utopia, right? We got to ask these questions. Yep. What's, uh, what's the price of utopia? Well, I just did uh, an essay that
1: you read, David, about kind of about this very same thing. The idea of looking to the past In order to reach a better future. That's what Star Trek does. That's what Star Trek does best. In fact, that's at the foundation of all stories of Star Trek that are relevant. Mm -hmm. It has to do with looking at the past, whether it's a historical past within our world or an in-universe historical past, as in this episode here with Mbenga, and then looking to a better future. Optimism. And... That's something that they almost contradicted in this episode. And I've never quite seen that done in an episode of Star Trek where they challenge the idea of looking forward or looking at the, the hopeful aspects. Because that scene with Mbanga and Pike, which I'm about to play right now, Mbanga essentially says that you have the privilege
0: yeah, when he said to that, see that the was- hope. Yes.
1: It challenges the idea of a better future, which may not go over well with some Star Trek fans, but again, Star Trek does its best work when it challenges its own ideas, its own ideology that it's built on via Roddenberry from fifty plus years ago. All right, so let's play the the audio from that scene. You ready? Ready. On submitting her report, uh, there's likely to be an inquiry, but
0: we've known each other but how long too long to count. Yeah. I'd like to think if he did instigate the fight with Rod.
1: I want to say right there, Pike already knows he did
0: it. Pike knows <laughs> he did it. That's <laughs> why I'm saying that Embanga did it. There's a lot of clues there. Well, it's easy for Pike to come to that conclusion because especially like if you take, if you were to be a person, to take a step back and see your friend acting this way. And he saw it throughout the entire episode. I mean, we know that basically in the very beginning, he asked Chapel, to be, uh, Chapel and uh, Mbanga to be at that dinner because it was a sign of good faith. Yeah. And he he wanted them there because he has faith in them. And then, you know, like, when you get to see the entire thing play out, you see that Pike knows Mbenga, Mbenga's thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. But it also shows the strength of Mbanga too, because he is trying to do this. You could almost say that Mbanga did Ra
1: a favor because he gave him the honorable death.
0: Honestly, yeah, because if you think about it, this is... is I mean, technically, based on Klingon belief, didn't he just restore his honor? He restored his honor. So in a lot of ways, I started to actually... Seeing, I put it in my notes that basically after this ep, uh, certain dialogue that we're going to hear, this is very almost reminiscent of Worf's story about his family, how his family was denigrated, and it took the death of someone to actually clear their honor.
1: Yeah. All right, here we go. If got away from you somehow, you could talk to me. I'd
0: be on your side. We'd work it out. I didn't start the fight, Chris. This whole situation it's complicated is it Rao was living a lie i saw
1: his true face what if i told you he murdered children he's t- he's justifying he did it not yeah. his man he did it
0: what if i started to fight then would that be so bad even if he had secrets there's due process that's why we have tribunals
1: the diplomatic corps knew who he was, and they still let him represent the Federation. The Federation believes everyone deserves a second
0: chance. What about justice?
1: What about the victims?
0: Doesn't everyone deserve
1: to pay for their actions? See so who decides? Hmm? Who pays and who gets redemption? Where's the line? <laughs> You're right, Chris. We've known each it's other for long time, see eye to eye on most things, but you haven't lived my life. You have the privilege of believing in what's best in people. Me? I happen to know there's some things in this world that don't deserve forgiveness. What do you say? I told you I didn't start the fight. See, I didn't start the fight because he didn't, but he finished it. He finished it.
0: I'm glad he's dead. And he's honest.
1: God, what a great episode. It's a
0: great episode. And it's it's like such a really awesome moment because neither one is wrong. Neither one's wrong. I mean, even in Banga, if he the fact that throughout the entire thing, what did he tell Ra? Why did you have to come here?
1: Yeah, I don't why did I, you come here? Yeah, you're it's not a it's not binary. It's not about right and wrong. It's not about you're right, right
0: or wrong. It's just about okay, you have to make this philosophical call because in a lot of ways Mbango was just hoping to run away from this this question to question his own morals. In a lot of ways,
1: the the person who has to wear who should carry the weight or who it probably is now carrying the weight of this of this death is probably Pike more than anyone because exactly. Mbanga didn't want him on board he didn't yep. want to be at the dinner and yet he was doing it for Pike Pike asked him to be a part of it because it was an important uh, it was an important part of the peace process yes and Mbanga didn't want to be there he didn't want peace chapel knew that this guy Mbanga struggled so much with PTSD that something could just happen that's why chapel was so concerned Mike probably has no idea how
0: truly damaged Mbanga is. Maybe now he does. Oh yeah, and and we as we as people, I mean, I'm sorry. If you watch this episode, I feel so like not just because of the performance, but also because of how the portrayal of Mbanga. Now, I love the character of Mbanga, especially like how complex he is, and like my favorite moment for him wasn't actually even the very end. It was actually the moment in the middle when they're right before the dinner and you have uh, the ensign uh, standing outside and she's just fuming with hatred. But in Benga, the one guy who basically arguably has the most hatred for this man basically tells her, we just, we're going to do this because it is for the greater good. And <laughs> I'm like going, how complex does that make him Banga? Because it's like, he, he's so human. He's one of the most human characters I've seen Yeah. to this point in this season. It's an episode that really, it
1: really dissects what it means to be a survivor of war. Yeah. It, it really does a great job in doing that. Now, in a lot of ways, this episode is a spiritual successor to the DS9 episodes in the Pale Moonlight where Captain Sisko and Garrick create a fake hologram
0: to convince <laughs> the Romulans
1: yes. to join the, war join the war against the Dominion, which ends with an actual assassination that Sisko unknowingly sets in motion.
0: Yeah. But, and then remember, in the very end, Sisko is telling the log and then he erases the log. It is one of the most...
1: I don't want to call it sinister, but there's a sinister vibe to it. It shows you what can happen to a righteous man. Yes. And what I mean by righteous is just someone of integrity and that's Cisco. And to show what war can do to a man of integrity, to where he fakes, essentially fakes footage. I want to say, um, a better way of saying this is, um, it was an allegory for oh, what president did that thing in Vietnam. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, that faked some attack in order to get us more involved and invested in Vietnam. I think it was Johnson that did it. I think,
0: I believe. Uh, give me a second. I'm gonna look it up. But I know what you're talking about. And that's one of the beautiful things while you're looking it up. When it comes to star trek especially that moment the one thing i always took away from it the reason why pike is able to say or mbenga is able to look at pike and say you're 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 arguing this from a place of privilege because you never got to face this it's not anything to actually slap pike in the face it's because also it harkens back to what the original admiral told pike why he got sent away from the klingon war You got sent away because you were supposed to be the best of us. And when you come back, you're supposed to lead us into into this great utopian future because that was Pike's responsibility. And I like the fact that basically what Mbenga doesn't look at Pike and hate him. He doesn't. The thing I really... Doug was like, when people bring up the idea of, oh, you're speaking from a place of privilege, it's always like done in a negative way. But here, Mbenga understands that Pike, yeah, he's speaking from a place of privilege. But Mbenga also understands that, well, that's because Pike is supposed to be the best of us.
1: Yeah. So the the inspiration for the episode in the pale moonlight was inspired by the Gulf of Tonkin incident that brought the U.S. into the Vietnam War. That's what it was.
0: I forgot which president did it, though.
1: There was also another episode that this felt very similar to, and it was the Siege of AR-558. That was another DSPACE-9 episode where the crew of DS9 faces the existential realities of a ceaseless war. That's the episode where Nog loses his leg. Nog loses his leg. It is morbidly depressing. But but such, such a good episode filled with philosophical thought there. Yeah. These episodes feel very in line. Or I should say the episode we're discussing today, the Strange, Strange New Worlds episode, feels very much in line with these episodes taken from Deep Space Nine, which, you know, if people have not watched these episodes, in order to appreciate them, do not just watch them As one offs, you need to watch the entire run of the show to really understand the impact of the episode, because if you were one of those fans back in the day that just refused to watch Deep Space Nine, you're not going to get it. And then you watch these episodes, it's going to validate you in your thoughts of Deep Space Nine being an abomination. You're like, well, look at this. This is nothing like Star Trek should be. But if you watched how they got there and what they were trying to do you would understand it. Uh, you would be more charitable. You would your, see the
0: journey and the your, journey to that.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. And for people who have watched ESpace space nine, and you don't remember those episodes, go back and watch them in the pale moonlight and the siege of AR five, five, eight. So chapel's own PTSD ultimately affects her, her relationship.
0: relationship
1: with Spock. Yeah. I, w- Figured that they would have problems eventually, but it feels strange one episode later. I mean, when did they seal the deal? Two episodes prior? Yes. Yes. Two
0: episodes. I had to
1: think about that. And we're already to the point where it's not going to work, where they're having problems. It feels a little weird. However, we know that he, that Spock does not have a relationship with Chapel in the original series, but we do have those
0: Inclinations. We, yeah, there's those,
1: fe- those. there's motion, there, there's the uh, notions of, of emotional connection between them. Yeah. There is frustration. Uh, I, as I said before, I believe there's even a scene in the first season where Chapel throws something at Spock because he's being stubborn. Yes. And it's something that only a significant other would do. Would do.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, I think one thing, uh, this is not a negative. First and foremost, let me put this out there the the one thing that we've been saying is we know the destination of these two, and I think that that's the issue with the with this why it happened why it feels it's happening so fast because I'm like i I think I'm in the boat with you where we thought we get the slow burn the slow burn of basically why Chapel and Spock aren't together, and why Spock isn't the way he is here in 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 uh strange new worlds and we still have a ways to go we have a ways to go yeah anything but, like, can happen at this point they have to lay those seeds down that basically say okay we can't just sprout this from the blue we have to actually do this and they probably feel that it is better to do it faster than take our time because in today's world, especially with the ideas of streaming and we, me and you can go on talks about like the status of streaming today and spend hours just talking about it. But like streaming today, you're not sure how much your show is going to actually be able to be carried. I mean, you don't in this today's world. I think the days of 12 seasons, 10 seasons of a show is like a pipe dream. I don't think we'll ever see that again because of how streaming it and how budgets are nowadays. So them taking the route that basically let's go ahead and just kind of increase the speed on chapel and Spock's story and try to get their characters aligned with what we know. Okay. Yeah. But hopefully they'll, they'll make it very believable why
1: it happened. Yeah, you know, I they, mean, it's not a deal breaker. I just felt like it. It came rather fast. It,
0: it does. It it came, their relationship
1: alone. blossomed unexpectedly a lot sooner than I anticipated, and now it's ended now even it's ended. sooner than it started. So it's a little strange. But I will say, David, just moving into my final thoughts, the episode was strong. It is one of the best episodes of Star Trek, and that's saying a lot especially for someone like me, who's who is very forgiving when it comes to star Trek and I'm willing to accept different things, but I'm also very nitpicky about what makes an episode of star Trek. Absolutely great. Yeah, And for me, this is one of those episodes. It does everything right. Philosophically speaking. So it's a 95% for me, Dave, what about you?
0: I'm actually with you right there. This is one of those episodes. I think in Kind of like a rare form. Me and you have the same score. I have this as a ninety-five. It's a really stellar episode. I mean, it, it it's up there with some of my favorites. I really had a uh, had to think about it. Is this better than the episode that I really loved, which was the Kirk and La- and episode? Mm-hmm. This comes really close because it made me lo- love a character. Outside of the characters that I'm normally attract, uh, like attached to, and really made me love a a different character, like Mbanga. I wasn't really into Mbanga until this episode.
1: Yeah, this season he's. Last season he was interesting. He but was interesting. But this season he's way more intriguing.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He's turning into like hammer form. <laughs>
1: first season yeah, I you know what it is sometimes David and I, I know this for you know for for a fact many times writers will write the first season not really knowing what the actors can do because they haven't worked with them before it seems like the writers became aware of what Mbanga, the actor that plays Mbenga is capable of yeah so they gave him a lot more this season to work with And as the seasons progress, I guarantee you, they're going to keep utilizing this character.
0: I hope so. I really do.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our discussion. I want to thank everybody for listening. Be sure to find us on iTunes or any other place you listen to our show and subscribe. Uh, Preferably iTunes, though, because you can leave us a review and a five-star rating. If you're on YouTube, if you're a YouTube listener, please give us a like and also subscribe to our channel. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper.
0: I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.